If you were to try to describe who the pro-life generation is today, who would that be? Who would you think that that is? We might be tempted to say, well, it's, it's the older people. You know, they're the ones that are, you know, really outwardly expressing their faith. They're the ones that we uh, see doing a lot of things like that. But if you said that, you would be wrong. That is not the pro-life generation. Born in 1957, I'm kind of on the back end of the baby boomer generation. And then the baby buster generation, uh, Gen X comes after that. And then Generation Y, the millennials. And over the last 20 or so years, it's been Gen Z. (laughs) And the pro-life generation are those last two. The pro-life generation are our young people and our young adults. You see several pictures here of that pro-life generation. Some of them, uh, some of these pictures were taken at the annual March for Life uh, walk in Washington, D.C. Some of them are perhaps of just individuals that were there expressing their commitment to the sanctity of life. In 2020, the latest year abortion figures are available, the Guttmacher Institute's research shows there were 930,160 abortions in the United States. Guttmacher is one of the groups that does regular uh, polling and surveys and research. You get a smaller number from um, the CDC, and the reason for that is because there are three states and the District of Columbia that are not included in their numbers, including the state of California, which has a significant number of abortions. So if we go with the, the figure from the Guttmacher Institute, which, by the way, is uh, pro-abortion, their figure says 930,000-plus abortions in the United States in the year 2020. And also in 2020, their research shows that there were 14.4 abortions in the United States per 1,000 women ages 15 to 44. Now, the interesting thing about both of those numbers, as distressing as they sound, both of them uh, for the last uh, probably 30 years... Since around 1990, both of those numbers have been going down. They have been decreasing. You see some uh, up and down a little bit, but overall decreasing. Because whereas there were 14.4 abortions in the U.S. per 1,000 women ages 15 to 44, in 2020, in 1981, there were 29.3, more than double. Or if we look at it on the positive side, today it's half what it was in 1981. And you compare that 930,000 abortions number overall in the year 2020 here in 1990, it was 1.6 million. The CDC says the numbers show that the number of abortions is decreasing at a slow yet steady pace. 
1973, the Roe v. Wade decision came down from the Supreme Court legalizing abortion in the United States. And since that time, about 65 million abortions have occurred here. Can you imagine the impact 65 million lives could have had on our nation and on our world? Abortion is now illegal in Texas and several other states thanks to another Supreme Court decision last year in 2022, the Dobbs case as it's called, that decided it was not consistent with the Constitution for there to be a federal uh, decision here and a national decision, but rather they would send that decision back to the states. And many states were ready. They were waiting for that to happen. That as soon as the Supreme Court gave them the go-ahead so that there wasn't a national law that required the states to allow abortion, they were ready and they had the mechanisms in place. And almost immediately there were several states that made abortion illegal in their state. Today, Texas is one of those. Abortions are illegal in Texas, among other states. A Pew Research survey that was taken after that Dobbs case last year uh, that overturned Roe v. Wade and sent it back to the states to decide, um, that survey was taken right after that. So the numbers are likely a little skewed towards the abortion side because of the reaction. And the numbers since then bears that out. But even then, from that survey... From last year, while a majority of Americans still feel abortion should be legal in some or most cases, only 29% say abortion should be legal in all cases. And again, those numbers are even better for the pro-life cause in more recent surveys. 29%. How many have ever heard that number quoted in the media today? That the vast majority of Americans believe that abortion should not be legal at any cause or for any cause at any time during the pregnancy. Only 29% say, yes, it should be, which is what Roe v. Wade did. Now, the majority still believe that Roe v. Wade uh, should not have been overturned. But when the question is asked, do you believe that it's okay for the law to uh, have legislation that says it's legal to have an abortion at any time during the pregnancy for any cause, the vast majority of Americans say no. Again, there's a majority who would say, well, it should be all or, or most of the time. But we don't hear that number that says it shouldn't be legal at all in all cases. And we think about that, and for some it's uh, when the heartbeat is registered. For some it's when the baby is viable outside the womb. And about that second one, in addition to our wonderful Eli, (laughs) who is defying all odds and continuing to live and to grow, and will do that. There's a little boy today by the name of Curtis Zy Keith Means. And he was born in 2020 at 21 weeks and one day. And little Curtis has the record for uh, the baby who was uh, born in the early stages of pregnancy and survived. 
He had a twin sister that did not survive, but he did. He did. And the doctors say this little guy just kept demonstrating to us that he wanted to survive. I think all little babies want to survive. Again, we don't hear from the abortion industry and the media that is touting their cause about stories like that or about surveys that are asked in different ways that would highlight the fact that not every American, in fact the majority of Americans, are not for abortion at all times. For any cause. And we think of those, uh, the way it's framed sometimes. Instead of pro life, they have begun talking about anti choice or anti abortion. I'm okay with someone telling me that I'm anti abortion, I'm good with that. Anti choice, the pro choice, that's a different kind of decision there, and that's a different kind of statement. And then you have to get into terms. And framing the statistics, and I'm excited about a couple of weeks from now when we have a lesson that's in this series that we'll be talking specifically about the media and how we can uh, be a voice and a, and a faithful uh, response in a culture where the media has many times skewed the news to encourage and promote sinful and non-biblical activities. And we have to make a distinction between abortions and miscarriages. Miscarriages are not abortions. Miscarriages is when the body rejects a baby that has already died. Abortion is when a doctor or a medical professional uh, has a very direct uh, act, activity that takes that baby's life when the baby was living and you figure that if that hadn't happened that baby would ultimately be born so when you look at those who are some of the most vocal against abortion you see a lot of young adults like you see here you see they see the truth that embryo that fetus that baby growing in the womb is a human life. And that life should be protected and cherished. They are the pro-life generation and they are making a, a difference. And we'll talk more about them in a little bit. But the issue here is when is that baby a human life? When is that baby alive? And we'll come back to that in a moment. The truth is what is needed is valuing each life. Whatever the age, whatever the situation, and holding it sacred, what is needed is the good news of Jesus Christ. So a few things today about this pro-life generation and the rest of us who are excited about their leadership here. First of all, we are pro-life because God is pro-life. That seems simple enough, doesn't it? Throughout this series, we've gone back to creation, back to Genesis 1 and 2, back to God saying, let us make man in our own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. 
And because we have been created by God and we have been created in the image of God, we have value. We have value. And every child that is conceived has been created in the image of God. Scriptures there talk about creation. In John, there are a few passages that talk about life. Jesus said, I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. To Martha, who had just lost her brother that Jesus was about to raise, he said, I am the resurrection and the life. In John 14, that familiar passage, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Why are we pro-life as Christians? We're pro-life because God is pro-life. Secondly, being pro-life calls us to value life at every stage, from womb to tomb. (laughs) Being pro-life calls us to value life at every stage, from womb to tomb, from conception to death, because God values every one of those lives as well. I appreciate Davey leading the kids' time. He's such a wonderful minister to so many in so many ways and has spent a lot of his years of ministry directed to children's ministry. And they still have his heart, as you could tell today. But it it was wonderful seeing the kids up here from my seat back there. And I think it was Ellie who has a dress on that says something about being unique. And uh, I thought about that and I thought, you know... Every single one of these kids is unique. And if you're not completely sure about that, then you need to talk to Donnie Cook and volunteer for one of those jobs that are needed in the children's ministry. Do you see how I just kind of slid that in there? Every one of our children is unique. And then we think about the other, the autumn of our lives. (laughs) Our ladies were here yesterday and had, uh, Joyce was able to be here yesterday and had a wonderful uh, time of devotion and inspiration and encouragement and did some time talking about the seasons of life and how God uses us at every moment in every season of life. What a blessing that Carolyn is here today. What a blessing that Jane Jones is here today. She's going to, got some family with her because she's soon to have a birthday and she's going to be none of your business years old. <laughs> it is so good to see you. Why? Because we value life. All life. We value that life because God values life. So let's talk about a few things here. First of all, abortion. In Psalm 139, there is this wonderful passage that speaks about how God knits us together in our, wonder, in our mother's womb and we are fearfully and wonderfully made. Ellie Holcomb has a beautiful song taken from this very chapter. You knit me together in my mother's womb. You said that I've never been hidden from you and I'm wonderfully, wonderfully made. Each of us is. Scriptures that are on your outline talk about some of those that were announced before their birth. 
that were called by God for a purpose and a mission from the mother's womb. And I think everyone is, but in some of these cases, it was actually stated in Scripture that that's what happened. That's what happened with Samson in Judges 13, with Isaiah in in Isaiah 49. With Jeremiah in Jeremiah 1, he says, Before I formed you, God says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. Same things are said of Isaiah. Of John the Baptist in the early part of Luke 1. Of Paul the Apostle in Galatians 1. Set apart from the mother's womb. And then this incredible statement... In Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 39, that passage that talks about the time when Mary was visited by the angel Gabriel and was told, even though you're a virgin, you're going to have a child, and this child is going to be named Emmanuel, God with us, and he's going to be called Jesus because Jehovah saves. And you're, you're not going to have this child in the natural way. This, you're going to be consumed by the Holy Spirit of God and conceive this child. And so he will be called the Son of God. Plus, your relative, your older relative, Elizabeth, is now six months pregnant. This woman that everyone said would never have a son, would never have a child, is now in her sixth month. And so scripture says that Mary, after that, went to see Elizabeth. And we have both ends of the spectrum here. This young woman young girl, a teenager, and her older relative Elizabeth who had lived her whole life and had never been pregnant, never been able to have a child, Elizabeth and Zechariah, God had come to them and had said, you're going to have a child in the natural way, but no less miraculous. And you will name him John and he will be the one who proclaims to everyone that the Messiah is coming. Get ready. And so Mary says, well, I've got to go see this. She probably thought to herself, I've been looking for a good excuse to go see Elizabeth anyway, so I'm going to go. And she did. And she stayed three months, likely until Elizabeth's baby boy was born. But Scripture says this in that passage in Luke 1. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth tells Mary, as soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. You're going to have an impossible time convincing me that those baby boys were not alive and were not human. Because not only were they alive, not only were they human, living souls, they reacted. They reacted. And again, the pro-life generation sees that. They see the technology. They understand all of those things because they have experienced it themselves in their families. Science increasingly affirms that life begins at conception. And no one knows that better than the pro-life generation. Their parents and grandparents had pictures of them all over their little cubicle at work. From sonograms. (laughs) They called them up, their family members up, when they were there in the doctor's office. And perhaps the spouse couldn't be there and they held the phone up so they could hear the heartbeat. They know. 
This is not a glob of cells. This is a living human being. They get it. All human chromosomes are present at fertilization or conception. And the heart begins to beat, at least the research I saw, at day 22. Day 22. And granted, as the sign said earlier, we, to love them both, we, we need to be compassionate and considerate and, and, and try, to, try to show love. To a woman of any age, but perhaps especially a young woman who has a surprise pregnancy and is not sure about what she should do, and maybe even decides to abort. We need to be compassionate. We need to be as understanding as we can, as loving as we can. Talk about that forgiving God that we've been worshiping today. We must love them both. Over the last several years, we've seen the movement toward infanticide, the taking of a baby's life after birth, what some who seek to justify it call afterbirth abortion, if the baby when born is unwanted or disabled. We've come a long way from safe, legal, and rare, haven't we? Which is what they said when they passed Roe. We just want abortion to be safe, legal, and rare, that's all. And it's changed so drastically that if a woman has a child and for some reason or another she decides she doesn't want it. There are some who are saying she has the right to have the doctor place that child somewhere where she will not receive treatment that she needs to remain alive. We must minister to and help those who choose life for their unborn child or their born child. There are references on your outline of Christian homes and family services and others that do that directly and are very involved in that. Fostering children, adopting children. Christ offers forgiveness and healing for all who have sinned, whatever their sin. Just as Eric shared in our communion time. Our God is a great God and He sent His Son because He loved us so much so that we could have forgiveness of whatever sin it is. Whatever it is. A few thoughts about euthanasia. Euthanasia is actively causing someone's death. Usually, of course, later in life. Versus passively permitting death. It's not the same as refusing treatment, which is hospice or palliative care. It's not the same as making them comfortable so nature can take over. It's actually abusing nature. To bring about the death. Euthanasia is not legal anywhere in the United States. Although some are trying to make it legal. It is legal in some other parts of the world. And medically assisted suicide is legal in 10 states and the District of Columbia. Where a person takes their own life. The sanctity of life. And so when we think about engagement in our society, what does that look like? Well, it looks like what Jesus did. It looks like what the New Testament calls us to do. In John 9, Jesus comes upon a man who has been born blind, and the disciples want to talk theology about it. How come this happened? Did his parents sin? Did he sin? And Jesus said, you're asking the wrong question. The question is, why is he here? And he's here to glorify God. He's here because he has a purpose and a mission. 
And the fact that he's born blind doesn't take away that, per- that mission. It doesn't take away that purpose. And it doesn't take away that life. Nor should we. Because God had a plan for him. Matt Walsh has said, if you sacrifice truth on the altar of nice, you are hurting more than you're helping. In fact, you're the reason our culture is in the shape it's in. Not a man known for beating around the bush. And we think of what Paul writes to the Ephesians, speaking the truth in love. And so I would respond to his statement with this. But what about if you sacrifice love or nice on the altar of truth? Is this statement also true? And I would say it is. Because Ephesians 4.15 says we are to be speaking the truth in love. Acapella has a wonderful song from that statement. And we're being unfaithful if we sacrifice any of them. If we refuse to speak and engage. If we don't speak the truth. And if we're not acting and speaking in love. Jesus was both of these and calls us to be the same. He came and revealed to us grace and truth. So four things that we can mention about our engagement. Number one, become educated on the value of life. Become educated on the value of life. How much do you know about that? How much do you know about this issue? Could you involve yourself in a discussion? Number two, expose the culture of death. And we do that by upholding the sanctity of life. Refusing to be quiet, to throwing ourselves into the discussion with love, of course, but not walking away. Number three, care for the living. Just as our shepherd Galen led us in prayer, there are those among us who are weak and weary, those who are sick and dying, those who are facing difficult decisions, those who are living with decisions already made. We need to care for the living. And then number four, prioritize the gospel. Prioritize the gospel. Reaching out to those. Eric described them as being one step away. One step away. And maybe a word from you of compassion and love and truth can make the difference. And maybe whatever they're going through right now is that thing in their lives that will drive them to actually consider your invitation to come to the one who loves them so much that he gave his life for them. The answer is not found in legislation, though that, that may help or hinder the pro-life cause. But the answer is found in Christians speaking out when we can with love always and upholding the sanctity of of life. Sarah Barrett writes, the most pro-life action a Christian can take is simple. To be there for the living, to help the single mom and come alongside the pregnant teenager, to comfort the family whose loved one is slipping away and support them as they grieve, to lift the burden from the caregiver's shoulders and assist the widow, to embrace the orphan as our own child, sibling, and friend, To practically support the poor and emotionally support the suffering. To bring hope to the hopeless. Tell the post-abortion mother that there is forgiveness in Jesus. And tell the suicidal teen that life is worth living. 
to love not just in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth, as 1 John 3 says. And to remember that the gospel is the deepest need in each heart. It means entering another person's messy situation and caring for their needs and their pain. And I think of what Tucker mentioned last week from a contemporary Christian song. Oh God who cleans up our messes. He can clean up whatever mess your life is in today. And we need to walk beside them. And be a part of that solution to their messy life. Jesus said in Matthew 25, as you did it for one of the least of these, you did it for me. And so Sarah Barrett says he divined the value of human life. He equated it with his own. And so this statement as we close, people need help living, not help dying. I have come that they might have life. Jesus said, have it to the full. I am the resurrection and the life. People need help living, not help dying. And we're called upon to help them. To help them. In the midst of all the other stuff that's going on, much of which is not good. (laughs) We are called to be a different voice. A different people with different values. The values of God. To help them live the life that Jesus died to give them. I do believe that there is hope for the future because of the pro-life generation. Much better, much better at so many things than I and my own generation have been. There is hope for the future because of the pro-life generation. And there is hope for the future because of our God. Nothing happens that surprises him. Nothing happens that he can't overcome. Nothing happens that he will not help you work through. Whatever it is. Wherever you are. If we can help you come to that God. Come as we stand and sing our song together.